0: You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three, got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU sports broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall.
1: We're here to bring you unique insights and stories from the BYU sports broadcasters who cover the Cougars and from the Cougars themselves. In a bit, we talk women's gymnastics with BYU TV producer Harrison Collier and analyst Mikkel Merkley after the first two meets of the season. But first, we're about two-thirds of the way through the BYU men's basketball season, so I asked the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell, to talk to me about the identity of this team.
0: Defensively, very solid. And I think offense has been a continued work in progress. And and, and the offensive numbers aren't what we've been used to seeing from BYU. Um, under Mark Pope or otherwise, but the defensive numbers are better than we've been seeing in the past. And so BYU's identity really has been established on the defensive end with the offense coming along. And the Pepperdine's a good example of a game where they had to be good offensively because Pepperdine plays at such a fast tempo and scores so many points that the game did get up into the 80s for the Waves. BYU had to be good and the Cougs were scoring 91, but that's a Division One high for them this year. They've not been playing those kinds of games. That's a good sign that BYU had to change to style a little bit or at least keep pace and did so with a very good offensive team. Uh, but the defensive numbers have really been there for BYU. The Gonzaga game is a great example. That's the best shooting team in the country that came into BYU and was kept well below its field goal percentage average on uh, on the year. And the Cougars had that game pacing in the 60s till the very end when both teams end up scoring in the 70s. So I thought the Gonzaga game was a really good example of how good BYU is and can be defensively. And if they just rely on that, they should be able to finish in the top tier in the West Coast Conference. BYU does lose to Gonzaga by one. Heartbreaking fashion, mm-hmm. but they lose.
1: They have to hold out Pepperdine in that second half. Pepperdine makes a a, a nice run to start the second half, and it's a nice close game for a lot of the second half. Then BYU kind of pulls away. I, I'm still encouraged by this team after what happened to them early in the season. After watching them early in the season and watching them now, I'm still encouraged. What about you? Encouraged or discouraged from this past week? I know some fans might say I'm a little discouraged just because you know we didn't complete. You know we could have we could have won two games. We only won one game. I don't know. I, I'm just still kind of like. I'm still kind of encouraged by this team because I still think they're they're kind of finding themselves right now.
0: The outcome against Gonzaga is so disappointing, but the process that put them in position to win was, uh, was exactly what you need to see from this BYU team. So I am encouraged. The result wasn't there against Gonzaga, but when you lose that kind of game, there's a real danger of things going sideways. and And you need to look no further than last year to see how things went sideways and kept BYU out of the NCAA tournament. Now, this year, the stakes aren't the same. BYU's not a tournament team right now. But last year, they gave away a game at Santa Clara, and they gave it away in a similar fashion to the way the Gonzaga game ended. BYU had the game won, somehow lost it, couldn't see it coming. Last year, BYU went to Santa Clara, lost a game. They had no business losing and then had a hangover two days later, lost at Pacific, and then followed it up with two more losses for a four-game losing streak. That four-game skid really took BYU out of the field. They never really recovered from it. And you could argue that those few seconds at Santa Clara kind of you know, collapsed the season in a lot of ways relative to their NCAA tournament hopes. They let that affect them on the weekend, I felt, and then never really recovered for two more games this year. You lose to Gonzaga, heartbreaking fashion. How did we do it? Had the game won. You got to come to work the very next day and get ready for Pepperdine the next day after that. And BYU did a good job of recovering and not letting things go sideways. Because if you don't play right against Pepperdine, say the Waves get you on that night. And they're clearly they were offensively capable of doing that. If you don't win that game, now you're going on the road to Santa Clara and San Francisco, which Mark Pope calls the toughest road road trip in the West Coast Conference. Well, man, you're looking at, again, at at, at like a four-game swoon potentially if you don't take care of business against Pepperdine, which you did. And so the first key step was was not letting one loss become two, now it becomes going on the road to Santa Clara and San Francisco and trying to find some way to get a split, at least a split, on this very difficult WCC road swing.
1: I want to get to that Bay Area road swing here in a second. But, you know, right now I I just looked at this last game, and I looked at the last game, and I'm like, four of the regular rotation guys played last year. That means that there are a lot of new guys you're getting into this rotation right now. For the struggles that they've had and for the struggles they've had to overcome, do you think that's been part of the reason it's just trying to get people to understand this is Mark Pope's system?
0: And not only that, there were key roles that changed in season. Injuries have been uh, kind of a constant with this program uh, for a while, and and it happened again. Not getting Trevin Nell to play this season, losing Spencer Johnson early in the season, those are two big blows for this team. Just having to recover from that. And then making a change in point guard, another huge switch for this team, uh, going from a senior to a freshman point guard. You know, how does the freshman play and how does the senior respond? All questions BYU had to answer. And so for all the—I'm you know, running into a lot of teams as BYU goes and, and, and takes on different teams. I'm running into a lot of teams that settle on a lineup early, and they've been in that lineup all year. And BYU's not been that team, you know, by necessity, injury, but some tactics as well. Leading Mark Pope to really shuffle the deck, and that's a big part of things too. Um, the teams that are that are veteran and and stable with their lineups, tend to do very well. And and BYU has older players, but not older together. So in, in some respect, they've been new or young in that they're playing together as a group for the first time. Then when you add the injuries on top of that, they've had to shuffle a lot of cards to get to this point. So when you're 14-7, and seven, dealing with what, what BYU's dealt with, I think all things considered, the Cougars have done a nice job trying to form something on the fly. Newest guy who's
1: impressed you the most. You mentioned one guy who... Took over as point guard. That's Dallin Hall. it Could be him. Could be one of the others that is just like, man. He really intrigues me right now. He's he's one of those guys that's like, he's got that that it factor that you're like, this is why I know he's he's playing right now.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I can really look at, at at multiple new guys and 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 come up with reasons for each that really impress me. But for a true freshman to come in and and send a senior into a reserve role in Dallin Hall. Hard not to be impressed by that. There's a lot going into that move. And for Mark Pope to trust Dallin Hall as a true freshman— says that he's going to be a or, or, or is and will be a special player. You just don't do that with an average true freshman when you've got a a 50 year senior that you brought in to run the point. Um, so Dallin, having done that, was was extremely impressive, and 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 Coach Mark Pope clearly trusts his leadership abilities. Jackson Robinson has had multiple games this year where he just gets hot and goes off. I think he's got five or six games now where he's hit four or more threes in a game. Really smooth stroke, and and a player that you can see fitting in. I think. Really well in a Big 12 scenario. I think those two guys jump up immediately, but you know you can't ignore the fact that Rudy Williams is BYU's uh, you know third leading scorer on this team, and and now doing it in a different role. Now he's in a bit of a scoring dip right now. He's he's not put up a lot of big numbers the last three weeks, but um, I, I think he showed by going into that new role what kind of player he is. And still um, has those moments and those those kind of flashes that show you uh, what makes him a special player. Richie Saunders finally kind of uh, uh, reemerged this past game. Had not been scoring it really well. Had a really nice game against Pepperdine. Scored 13 points. And uh, Noel Waterman lately with a shoulder knock has been uh, kind of sent to a, maybe more of a secondary role. But he did start 11 games for BYU. So, wow, well, I just rattled off all the newcomers and reasons why I like each of them in different ways. But I think you have to go with the quarterback, and that's Dallin Hall, for making the biggest strides at the earliest stage. Fuseni Traore scores 19 points against Pepperdine. Is he the most
1: consistent guy or the guy that you need to depend on the most right now? Because because he is your one low-post scorer that is a low-post scorer. You don't really have a lot of other guys like that right, right. now. And
0: Atiki is really coming along, by the way. Atiki Ali, Atiki, I think, has made great strides in the last just, just the last month. Now, Foose doesn't need to score big numbers uh, to have an impact, but if you single-team him, he will. But by the fact that he's so good down low... If he's not scoring big numbers, it's because he's being doubled, which means somebody else is open and he's finding the right guy. So I think either way, Foose is the most consistent and reliable option on this team because of what he either does or threatens to do that puts BYU in a good spot. And the fact that Foos and Atiki Ali Atiki are both 70% free throw shooters, Atiki in the low 70s, Foos in the high 70s to near 80, that's also massive. So many bigs in the game now are a weakness, where if you simply attack them and foul them, put them at the line, you'll gain some points over the stretch of the game. That's not the case with these guys. You will lose points to BYU if you foul Foos and Atiki right now.
1: You mentioned Atiki, how he's improved. I just noticed in one of the last games I watched him play, he hit a nice little jump hook. And I I'm not saying he hasn't made any... But I thought, wow. To me, in just like two seasons, I'm like, wow, that that looks nice. It looks smooth.
0: He looked confident with it, too. And, and, and his free throw stroke is also an indication of what kind of shooter he is. That's a really nice stroke, too. And what impressed me three or four games ago was a square-up jumper. We've not seen a lot of that from Tiki, but it's clearly in his game. And so a really feathery touch, and that bodes well for the future as well. San Francisco, what makes you nervous, excited about that game? Well, that's the weekend game, uh, the Saturday game. Just the fact that they're so Three point reliant, and, and and if they're not making them, you're probably going to beat that team. And they're off to a one in five start before the weekend games. Before before the Thursday game, they're one in five. Uh, nobody saw that coming. I, I th- USF was picked to finish tied for third with BYU in the WCC. A one in five start was unpredictable. Uh, they're just so three point reliant. Uh, they're they're, they're in the, among the top ten teams in the country in in percentage of three point attempts per field goal attempt, and also. Percentage of points scored on threes. Nearly half their points, about 49% of their points, come on three-pointers. That's a massive percentage. <laughs> and if they're on, you're in trouble. If they're not, you're probably going to beat them. Uh, Santa Clara, really
1: scary team. They're only two losses in conference are close losses. Granted, both at home, but close losses to St. Mary's and Gonzaga. Yeah they might feel like this is their time to be the solid number 3 squad, at least for this season uh, in the WCC, especially as BYU is on their way out.
0: Right, and and the big question about Santa Clara, not to be answered probably until Thursday, is does Brandon Pojemski play in this game? Brandon Pojemski was a revelation. His first two games this year, back-to-back 30-point games. This is an Illinois transfer that has to be the odds-on for Newcomer of the Year right now on the West Coast Conference. Did not play at Pacific, and they still scored 92. That's all you need to know about Santa Clara. They missed their <laughs> Best scorer and rebounder, and still scored 92 at Pacific, which have been playing pretty good basketball. Uh, when they're at full strength, uh, it's as good a team beyond Gonzaga and St. Mary's as there is. And they, I think, with a healthy Brandon Pajemski, say we're the third best team in this conference. And they would take a step toward proving that by beating BYU on their home floor.
1: What will you miss about calling games in the Bay Area? About going on this Bay Area road trip year well, in and year out?
0: What I'm going to miss is this has been the snowiest winter in Utah in years. <laughs> and every WCC road trip you take is heading west. <laughs> uh, I'll miss that about the entire league. When 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 January, February hit, things are cold and snowy, you can always get a little respite by going to the coast and bringing, breathing in the sea air and, and dropping the parker for a light jacket. And and when you go to the Big 12, you're heading east with every road trip. Every road trip in the Big 12 heads you east, and every road trip in the WCC puts <laughs> you west. And in the wintertime, that makes a big difference. Favorite Bay Area location to call a
1: game, or, or, or just that Northern California. Area. Yeah, I
0: love the hilltop. I, I it's it, it's just it, it's an old gym, really old gym, but the location is really cool because it's in the middle of a neighborhood, and it is literally you climb all the way to uh, from downtown, you climb all the way to campus, and the architecture style is great. Um, the crowds have been phenomenal lately, and and that's one thing I, I, about those BYU San Francisco games is the crowds are usually really energized. The games usually get high scoring. It's a really fun feel, but the surrounding area, the architecture, the the, the the the, uh, the the age of the building, all those things kind of combined to, to give you a really cool feel. I love the Levy Center at Santa Clara because BYU's done so well there historically. But in terms of just straight venue of the Bay Area programs, I love the USF trip. Uh, you know, Moraga. I might feel differently about St. Mary's if BYU won there more frequently, but it's been <laughs> tough. It's been the toughest gym to play yeah. in. Uh, and we, you know, it's 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 um, it's East Bay. It's it's in it's inland a little bit, but I still consider it a, a, a Bay Area school. Um, and so that I, I think again, I think I think the fact that BYU loses there almost every time, kind of paints my, uh, my my perception of that venue. But I really do love every time you get a chance to go into the Bay Area. Thanks to the voice of the
1: Cougars, Greg Rebel, The BYU women's gymnastics team competed in the Best of Utah meet a week ago, and they were the fourth best team in the Beehive State. Utah dominated the field, which impressed TV producer Harrison Collier and former Cougar gymnast and current TV analyst
2: Mikkel Merkley. It was very impressive. Um, I mean, they had a couple gymnasts that almost got tens and then one um, on the beam that got one. And that was the first time I had seen a, uh, 10 in all the years that I've produced gymnastics, um, that we were able to broadcast that. So they, they are very professional and know what they're doing and, um, almost flawless.
3: Yeah. Utah looked really good. Um, as, Harrison mentioned it was nice to be able to put up some good gymnastics on the TV. They looked really they looked really polished for how early it is in the season.
1: How tough was it for you to? I mean, most of the time, for BYU gymnastics, it's BYU and then another team and you know, it's at the Marriott Center or it's it's at the uh, Smithfield house. How tough of it was it for you trying to keep up with everything that was going on since you had four teams that you had to keep up with?
2: Um, it was pretty tough. Uh, the biggest thing is uh, there was a lot of communication in the truck and, um, what, what we would do is after one event was finished, someone would call out, hey, so-and-so got a nine, nine, uh, on this event or so-and-so got this one, this score. And so then it was kind of up to me of like, okay, what's the most important to see? And so when I Heard that someone got a a nine point nine seven five. I was like, okay, we want to see that next. And then when we got the perfect ten, um, I said, okay, let's go to that. And then I kind of killed everything else that was coming up next, so we could also show replays and show why this girl got a ten on that event. Um, so there's a lot of communication, and uh, then we just try and show what is important to the viewers
3: on my side, quad meets are almost easier (laughs) because as color commentator, my job's just to talk about the gymnastics and Harrison keeps the gymnastics just coming. It's just coming the whole time. And it makes it really easy for me to do my job, but I don't know really how Harrison handles all of that. There was actually a quad meet before this opener that another broadcast team did, and it was really hard to watch. They were doing it just live. So there was a lot of standing around, a lot of, and we got a lot of really good feedback about how the production team handled that quad meet um, and how they were able to just show so much gymnastics and balance all the teams. And I just feel like they handled it really well.
1: All right, let's move on to, to the BYU gymnastics team now. So I'll address this to you, Mikael. Um, BYU is fourth out of four teams at the Best of Utah meet. But it, but they improved their score from the previous week to that meet. How, how's this team doing two matches into the season?
3: Definitely, if we're looking at prior seasons, since Guard has taken over, this is a slower start for sure. They have a lot of new faces that are still getting exposure and getting used to competing in the college environment. Um, both of the meets that they just had, they're considered bigger meets. They're on podium. They're just a little bit different to get used to. I am curious to see going into this third meet. It's a regular meet, it's at home. I think we're going to see some big improvements. They had to count a fall on beam. They had to just count some things that I really think were more nerves rather than actual skill coming through or lack of skill showing.
1: Seniors Elise Rollins, Alex Mason, Anissa Alvarado, and Rebecca Ripley had some of the highest scores for BYU in that meet. Well, will they kind of need to carry some of the younger? Te- their younger teammates until they get more experience?
3: For sure. They will definitely need to do that. They also have some girls that are out. They have a girl coming back from an ankle injury that we will likely see on three events later in the year. We, um, They have another girl that's coming back from some shin splints. Um, so as we see those girls come back, we'll see some of the less experienced gymnasts move out of the lineup but I do think that's beneficial as far as future team goes, because those athletes that are competing now probably wouldn't have gotten that experience this year. So I think it's going to lead. I think it's hard for this season. It's hard starting off the season this way. But as far as the long run goes, I think it will be better.
1: okay, for both of you, i'll I'll ask you first Mikhail, and then we'll have um we'll have Harrison answer. Who were some of the other gymnastics or gymnasts? Who are some of the other gymnasts that impressed you? Maybe some of the younger younger teammates uh, that, that impressed you in this best of you, Tommy.
3: Kylie Aquinto, she's a freshman. She's here. She's a local girl from Orem. She put up a 9-8 on both vault and bars. Those are very good scores. Not necessarily one of the younger girls, but Rebecca Bean Ripley has been out. She tore her ACL. I think Harrison was actually producing that meat when she tore her ACL on vault and then retore it the next year and then had to. So while she is a senior, she is new. She's back in the lineups and she did a great job. She had a floor routine go viral last week. And I was very nervous how the pressure of everyone watching this girl that had just gone viral, how she was going to handle that. And she put up a better routine at the best of Utah than the one that ESPN had picked up.
2: Yeah, I'd have to echo the same thing of what Mikkel said. Uh, Rebecca Ripley's been very impressive, especially just like Mikkel said, with going viral with her routine and then um, continuing to get better. Um, and she did a has done a really good job, and I it's impressive story wise for her to come back from two ACL tears and. To still compete at a high level, uh, it always is nerve-wracking as I'm watching because she has this huge brace on her leg, <laughs> and to see her do all the flips and stuff that she does and still land it as gracefully as you would you would see. You know what I loved is that we got to
1: see that that viral video again higher quality, <laughs> uh, better <laughs> camera angles. It was just a lot of fun to watch her uh, perform, and she did great. I believe she got a 9.85 on on that. It, it'll be fun to see her as she goes throughout the season. Okay, so now you have a home meet, BYU uh, and Boise State here at the Marriott Center. From your two different angles, I'll go with Harrison first. What's it like for a home meet for you? And then, Mikhail, what's it like for a home meet for this team to actually be able to perform in front of their home crowd?
2: For the BYU TV side of it, uh, it's a little easier. You're kind of in your own environment uh, where we're in our own control room. We're not in a truck. Uh, we also get to place the cameras a little bit better. Uh, and we also only have two teams to worry about. So it makes it a lot more simpler and we can uh, educate the fans a lot better on different things because we're able to show replays and show why they got the scores that they did.
3: That's what I was going to say. As far as educating the fans, so much easier in a dual meet because in a quad meet, it's all just moving so fast. We're going from routine to the next routine to the next routine. And sometimes there's questions that I know I have when I watch other sports, I get really confused. So I do my best to educate fans Um, who are maybe just flipping through the channels and found gymnastics and don't understand the rules. And having that little bit of extra downtime in a dual meet is a lot easier. As far as being a gymnast goes, home meets are awesome. Everyone's cheering, you're used to the equipment. Equipment is different everywhere. Some of it's bouncier, some of it swings a little faster. So just not having to adjust and being able to sleep in your own bed and eat normal food and not be at restaurants all the time. Everything is just a little bit easier at a home meet. So it's an athlete.
1: Mikael, how much would a meet, would a win at this meet mean for this team right now? Or would just an improvement in scores be enough?
3: I'm going to be honest. A win probably wouldn't mean very much, but if we could get back into that 196 range, that would mean a lot. In preseason, wins and losses don't mean a lot in gymnastics, but your score is, that's heavily weighted. And so if that's what that's what I would like to see, I'd like to see the gymnast get up, hit their routines, not have to count a fall, because that has been the issue the past few meets, and then ideally get back into that 196 range, that'd be great for Um, Some efficacy
1: there. BYU and Boise State will be competing this Friday at the Marriott Center. Big thanks to Mikkel and Harrison for their time. Make sure you download and subscribe to Behind the Mic wherever you find podcasts or listen to all episodes on the BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.